far wing. Where Pani Mukhtar stands, steps forward and delivers towards the near post. Header! Goal! It's Jaleel Anibaba! In his first start of the season! Welcome to the Club and Country podcast. We are, of course, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage, and we are two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. We've done the math. We've put in the time. I'm Nashville SC analyst Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the owner of ClubCountryUSA.com, the longest-running web outlet covering Nashville Soccer Club. Which predated Golden Goal, my site, by about four days and outlasted it by more than two years at this point. So I think you've earned that right. And, and counting, and counting. And counting. I looked for it the other day, actually, and the domain's long since expired. I think our, our work, our great six months of work, myself and Glenn <laughs> Judah, is just lost forever. Oh, well. Speaking of lost forever, this time last week, I was maybe thought I was going to be lost forever up in upstate New York. I was so far above upstate New York, actually. They call it the North Country, right on the Canadian border. And I was gazing across the St. Lawrence River at Canada, which I still cannot access. And I was wondering, what are Tim and Braden doing now? You guys covered beautifully, of course, as expected on my week off, but I'm glad to be back with you. I'm glad to have you back. As much as I enjoyed uh, chopping it up with Braden, I feel the chemistry that we've developed is, is irreplaceable. Well, don't tell Brayden. He'll get jealous, but I tend to agree. Special thanks to Moon Taxi for the music, as always, and to ESPN 94.9 for the highlights and maybe one low light we'll hear in just a little bit from Nashville SC's draw against Atlanta last Thursday. The 2-2 scoreline, identical to the one that Nashville earned at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Memorial Day weekend, but that came courtesy of two late goals, a brace by Hani Mukhtar and a happy feeling for this team. The feeling, Tim, not quite so glowing after conceding to Jackson Conway. The rookie scores his first career goal. Nashville settles for a 2-2 result, which I think we can easily say is the most disappointing result this season and, and maybe longer than that. I mean, I'm old enough to remember Nashville SC needing to claw back a couple goals to draw FC Cincinnati. So certainly the way the game played out, giving up a lead for the first time this year doesn't feel great. And I think that's where the feelings more come from. If you know, Depending on the order of operations, you, you get a very different feeling from various types of draw. Sure. And I'm a harsh critic of those who fall victim to recency bias. And so I don't want to become uh, a victim myself. But I do think, you know, Atlanta in general, a 2-2 draw, there's no shame in that, of course. But this Atlanta team, without Brad Guzan, without Joseph Martinez, without Barco, without so many of the pieces that make them go, and on their day can be incredibly threatening, to concede on a couple of set pieces and for it to happen the way it happened, I, I just I, I have to say I think it's more disappointing than Cincinnati, to which you can you can attribute a little bit of early season rust and yeah. you know a couple of fluky goals early on, whereas this one I, I just I think the team knew better and was better than that. Well, I think we will, as we will discuss in a little bit, Nashville is also without Walker Zimmerman, who may be a little bit more important than we even realize for the reigning league defensive MVP. To Nashville SC and to the U.S. men's national team, for whom he shined earlier this week, and we will get into that in just a little bit. It was a week capped by a low point on the field, but it will likely be remembered for longer than that for a really big high point. The club record signing, Tim, of Ake Loba reported $6.8 million going toward the striker from Liga MX. And today's episode is devoted to answering every question our listeners could possibly have about Nashville's new signing, a massive moment for this club. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've talked a lot about how Nashville stretches every dollar. It's not that they don't spend, it's that they make sure they get the most out of every dollar that they do spend. 
Well, now they're spend, spending even more money. And if they're stretching the dollars as much uh, for Ake Loba as they, are, as they have been for Walker Zimmerman, which I don't think anybody realized what a great deal that was going to be at the time, maybe this club is turning a corner in terms of how they're perceived around the league. If you want to hear Nashville SC general manager Mike Jacobs go on a rant, just characterize <laughs> Moneyball as being frugal. And he will tell you very quickly, it's about making your money work smart, not just spending to spend, and certainly not holding back on the expenditures when requisite value can be added. We will hear directly from the men most involved in this signing today. General manager Mike Jacobs and CEO Ian Eyre, they're going to tell us in their own words how this signing came about and what it means for the club as Ake Loba more than doubled the previous club record transfer fee. Then we'll embrace consensus today. Is the addition of Loba enough to make Nashville a contender for the top of the Eastern Conference? Differing opinions today. We're going to break down why, then get into the mailbag. What should we reasonably expect from Loba in the early going and long term? And then where do things stand with Nashville's other high-profile transfer this season? Rodrigo Pinheiro. Haven't heard much from him lately. We'll have an update there. And then Gold Cup is underway. And an outside in, we'll talk about Nashville SC players who are playing big roles for their two teams and why there's a third who will not be playing in Gold Cup, it appears. So without further discussion, let's get into our early shout. It does lead to a corner kick for Atlanta United. Lofted back post. Conway header! He has scored! On their first real good look since they opened the scoring nearly an hour ago. Jackson Conway has leveled this game. John Freeman's call on ESPN 94.9. Jackson Conway's equalizing goal on a corner kick to give Atlanta the 2-2 result in Nashville. Goals from Jaleel Anibaba and Hani Mukhtar via a PK put Nashville ahead. It was 2-1, but an Atlanta team missing more than 500 games played and 97 career goals managed a point thanks to a couple of set-piece goals, including that first-ever tally from 19-year-old Jackson Conway, who never managed to score Tim against Nashville SC in two USL matches for ATL2, but got it done. A shock goal and a surprising result for a Nashville team that surely expected to get all three points from that game. Yeah, absolutely. And when you talk to Gary Smith, one thing that he always talks about is, is not wanting to get beaten in the easy way. And having a rookie score <laughs> a header on you is probably not the way that he wants to get beaten for sure. I did have to go back and make sure that Conway didn't score on his own team against Nashville SC. He did not. It was Will Vint. Sorry, Will. Back pass dangerously presented toward the keeper, Brendan Moore, and it finds the back of the net. It's an own goal. Nashville's up 1-0 despite not even touching the ball on the play. Well, that's one way to do it. Four minutes in, the boys in gold are out front. It was Will Vint, the defensive midfielder. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's a situation that... It was precisely the way Nashville didn't want to get beaten. Gary Smith harps on set pieces all the time, and that's something that um, was a theme after the game, too. A a talented group of of young players for Atlanta United, still a group Nashville would have expected to beat, and Gary Smith did not hide his feelings after the contest. Tonight was was hugely disappointing. Honestly, I can't tell you how deeply disappointed I am probably more so than I've ever been since I've been here. And that, listen, we haven't lost. I, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted with the way the guys have gone about their business. We've shown some very good form here. We've shown some great character here. When we've gone to go down, I'm just absolutely flattened by our inability to deal 
with two dead balls. It is rare to hear Gary use words like always or never or absolutes. And so for him to say that, that this might be the most disappointing result in his time in Nashville, to me, Tim, is a very strong statement. And it got me to thinking, is there a match whose result was this disappointing? I think there are a couple that approach it for me, but none that maybe equal it. I know you mentioned Cincinnati earlier, and I can understand that one. For me, I look at the the game at Sporting Kansas City last year where Nashville goes up 1-0 early. Gets a red card, concedes twice, including a, a worldie from Eric Hurtado. And then USL, a couple years ago, at Pittsburgh Riverhounds, up 2-0. You give up two late ones, including one assisted by a former Nashville SC player in Ryan James. Uh, you were at that one, I believe. Does that rival this? Is there anyone in your mind that rivals this uh, 2-2 result that feels like a setback against Atlanta? Well, it's funny you mentioned that one because I hadn't thought about it until just now. But uh, the disappointment in Gary Smith's voice on Thursday evening... It's something that I, I really haven't heard in a really long time. And that Pittsburgh Riverhounds game is probably the most recent time I've heard it. He was a little bit more angry than upset, uh, but certainly it was a game where his feelings were not hyper positive. <laughs> but, um, I think the game that immediately springs to mind for me is the penultimate game of the regular season in the first Nashville SC season as a professional club against Toronto FC2, one of by far the worst teams that USL had ever seen to that point. Um, they were not quite the the uh, Antigua Barracudas who went winless, <laughs> but, but they were a really bad team, and Nashville needed a, a win there to guarantee that they would be able to make the playoffs. Ended up giving up a, a couple really soft goals to, to get a draw against TFC, too, and didn't know that they were going to be able to make the playoffs unless they were able to beat FC Cincinnati the following weekend. Fortunately, the results in the midweek and earlier in the day of the, of the season finale broke their way and they only needed uh, to just not get blown out in that game but it worked out in their favor but the way that they felt after that TFC2 game where all you have to do is take care of business against uh, just an awful team and they couldn't get it done. The radio deal didn't have us calling that Cincinnati finale so that was actually my last moment in the booth um, for Nashville SC that season that first year and it felt so incomplete to have Nashville resident Caleb Patterson Sewell standing on his head for TFC2 and denying me a chance at three points on the mic in my final game although it was back and forth and pretty exciting getting into gold nuggets nashville sc gave up a lead for the first time all season tim it's the first time all year that they conceded a goal while ahead and it was when they were ahead 2-1 they gave up that conway goal it was bound to happen but this particular manifestation seemed unlikely a 19 year old rookie getting it done a forward on a set piece yeah, absolutely. And especially when you look at what had just happened previously, Nashville SC scores a goal. Looks like they've gone up 3-1. It's taken off correctly upon video review for an offside call. Had it been 3-1, this game would have, could have ended 5-1. Since mm -hmm. it didn't go 3-1, we saw what happened. It ended in a draw, and you get that unlikely result because you see another relatively soft set piece header go in and that's just hasn't been the dna of this team over the past year and a half and that probably explains a big part of why gary was so frustrated after the game it's the second time in as many home matches against atlanta that nashville put the ball in the back of the net four times the difference was of course it was a 4-2 win last year and two of those goals were ruled offside honey mukhtar the other player to have one ruled off two very uncontroversial offside calls right. denying nashville a couple of goals so the boys in gold remain unbeaten at home in their last 10 matches they have the most points at home 
in Major League Soccer, but of course they've also played the most home matches by far in MLS. And so when you look at their home points per game, which is obviously a better indication of how they're tracking, they're just fifth in the East. Same as their overall standing in the table. As five of those nine home results have been draws. And so, Tim, that makes Saturday's date with Chicago pretty, pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. By the time that game is over, Nashville will have played nearly 60% of their home games for the entire year. They've only played 18% of their away games. This is going to be a road warrior team for the rest of the year, and they cannot afford to give away more points at home. Obviously, that was our embrace consensus topic a couple weeks back, and we've seen this club give up four points since then that probably at, you know, my position at the time was that they couldn't do it, and I feel that way now if they want to be where their goals before the season had them standing. They can't continue to do things like that. No, and I disagreed with you then. I thought there was a little bit of margin for error. I think they've used up that margin for error largely here. You know, you get a draw once or twice the rest of the year against a top opponent. Nobody's going to throw throw anything on the field. But I do think certainly the pressure is, is ramped up starting Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, they can make up that ground by winning on the road. It's just going to be a much tougher task to win when you're traveling to Orlando, when you're traveling around the east coast of this country instead of hanging out in Nissan Stadium and where where you know that your club has built a little bit of a reputation, has built a little bit of confidence in themselves too, that's not going to be the case when you hit the road. Nashville has just played three road matches this year. They have failed to win in each of those. Nine of their final 12 contests will be away from Nissan Stadium. Final gold nugget for you, set piece goals with and without Walker Zimmerman. You referred earlier to him as being maybe even more important than we realize, and you were being a bit coy, I'm sure, because everyone, I think, realizes <laughs> generally his importance, but it was a great tease and true, as, as the numbers have been pretty stark. When Nashville doesn't have Walker in the lineup, we've talked about what well, they lose on set pieces going forward, but also defensively. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mentioned after last year that it seemed like he was getting the defensive MVP award, uh, mostly because he was the best center back on a very good defensive team and then also scored some goals, which was exciting. I think I'm, I'm very willing to walk that back and say his importance on set pieces alone is so big. With him, uh, Nashville has given up one set piece goal. That was the New York Red Bulls bizarre bouncing ball that kind of doesn't really kind of encapsulate something that happens regularly in games, but in the, in the four games, since he first missed an outing um, due to the birth of his son and then played only a couple minutes at the end of the Montreal game, Nashville's given up four set piece goals, all of those, but one, um, one of those ATL goals was uh, on a free kick, but the rest of them were corner kick goals. Nashville has allowed 10.11 expected goals all year. They've given up 13 goals. So they're slightly doing slightly worse uh, than the advanced numbers would say. They've given up 1.94 expected goals on corners and set pieces, but four goals allowed. That, so they're basically doubling up the amount that they should be giving up on set pieces. So nearly their entire expected goals under achievement is coming on set pieces. In the three recent games without him, they've given up 0.65 expected goals, but all four of the goals that have counted as set piece goals because the, the Red Bulls goal, because there was a secondary assist, didn't count as a set piece goal to a lot of the data providers. So he's not the only factor here, but when you kind of break down the numbers of what Nashville has been able to do with him in the lineup and what they haven't been able to do without him in the lineup, which is defend a set piece, his aerial presence really can't be overstated. Those four set-piece goals allowed by Nashville equal their total from last season. So what does this mean going forward for Nashville SC? They're without Walker for several more matches during Gold Cup. They've got to just tread water, I suppose. And, I mean, we like Jack Mayer. We like Jaleel. I think he was he was fine, scored a goal, but fine defensively against Atlanta for the most part. So 
Is it a matter of, of tactical adjustments, bringing more people into the box on these, or is it just a little bit of bad luck? Can you call it luck when they've given up four in the last three games? Yeah, there's an element of luck, and I think there's an element of maybe a, a bad feeling snowballing within, within the roster a little bit, and you kind of give up the same thing on repeated occasions. But at the same time, Jalil Anibaba is a really good center back. I think Jack Mayer is already proving that he is a really good center back, not just going to become a really good center back. That speaks to how exactly how good Walker Zimmerman is, particularly in the air, that it just this team just seems to not be able to compensate without him. I do think there will have to be some adjustment tactically. I don't know that it's going to be that significant, but um, there's going to have to be something to say, okay, guys are going to be able to jump higher than us when we don't have the highest jumping guy on the field. So we have to do something differently to make sure this doesn't continue to happen. But as you mentioned, Nashville knows they aren't going to have Walker Zimmerman for four probably five, maybe even a sixth game going forward. So they're going to have to do something, but they're going to be able, want to be able to get right back into what they've been doing uh, when he does return, because when he does return and he's able to dominate those set pieces, uh, obviously you see a team that has a very different type of ability to defend those without sacrificing numbers at the back. So Nashville now fifth in the Eastern Conference after the draw with Atlanta. Up next, Chicago Fire. They're 3-7-2 and two this season, 12th place in the East. Here's a stat for you. They've not, run a, they've not won a road match in 650 days. They didn't win one last season, so dating back to 2019, their last road win, that was in Orlando. But, Tim, seven of their 11 points have come in the past three games. They're the highest-scoring MLS team in the last three as they've put forth nine total goals, and that coincides with a switch to a primarily 3-5-2 philosophy moving up from a four-man defense. Yeah, it's interesting because Nashville switched to a bit of a 3-5-2 when they played Philadelphia Union. Philly kicked off this nice little stretch for the fire here with a, a wild 3-3 draw that nobody saw coming because at the time, uh, the Union was one of the best teams in the league and Chicago was almost certainly the worst team at that point in the league. So they really seem to have found something that really helps them kind of, again, find a little bit of belief in themselves, but you don't score goals because you believe in yourself. You score goals because you create chances and convert those chances. And that's what Chicago has been able to do quite a bit more of since they've added those wingbacks to the formation, since they've added a, a second striker to the formation, they really seem to be able to find the openings to get these shots on goal. The defense is still a little bit leaky at times, but they're scoring a lot, and that's what's really driven this three-game uh, nice little stretch. Alvaro Madron with five assists in his last three matches for this team. He would probably be the player to watch there in central midfield. Chicago team that came to Nashville last year and really bossed the match despite being outside playoff position. A 1-1 draw, Nashville was able to salvage a point, but, but a Chicago team that matched up well with Nashville and has not had much turnover in that roster. They're going to look pretty similarly, if not tactically, then at least from a personnel standpoint to what we saw at Nissan Stadium. Yeah, this is a team with a lot of technical ability. It's actually a team that has been pretty good in expected goals terms over the past couple years and just had brutal bad luck whether that's uh you know whether you create your own luck or whether that is true like luck luck whatever happens you know because a, a butterfly flapped its wings 100 miles away or whatever um, this is a team that has seemed like they're ready to break out for the past couple of years i don't know that they're necessarily doing it right now but it's definitely the closest that they've come uh in the time that i can remember we have moved past the early shout, and we've settled into the heart of the podcast. And amidst the run of play, there's about to be a big moment. And that is the discussion of the signing of Ake Loba. 
at long last the signing is in, a man that we've been talking about, that you've been talking about on clubcountryusa.com for well over a year, the Ivorian striker Ake Loba joins Nashville SC from CF Monterey in Mexico, a reported $6.8 million transfer fee, more than double the club record. Here are the vitals on Loba. 36 goals and 8 assists in 100 professional appearances at Monterey, one of the premier clubs in Mexico, 7 goals in 27 appearances. Monterey happens to be my Liga MX team. So I've actually watched quite a bit of him. And I also understand why he hasn't had a chance to play as much as he would have liked in Monterey, which is a big part of why he's headed to Nashville right now. The striker depth chart there uh, is very, very deep. Um, Rogelio Funes Mori, who I think a lot of people are probably seeing play for Mexico in the Gold Cup, uh, at least in the in the opener. Uh, he's somebody that Akeloba at 23 years old is not going to be able to pass on a depth chart, <laughs> I think yeah. is a fair way to put it. But Nashville's been tracking him for a long time. And like you mentioned, we've been talking about him for a long time. I, I checked my tag when I was getting ready to, pro, to publish all of this stuff about him. And the first time it was used was in November of 2019. So it's wow. been a very long time. But we should be ready to see him suit up in gold this Saturday. I don't know if he's going to be ready to, to get in the starting lineup. Um, fitness coming from an offseason in, in Liga MX. Um, integrating into a new tactical setup. He obviously didn't train with the team at all, basically. He just took pictures in a Nashville uniform before the game against Atlanta United. So I asked uh, Nashville SCGM Mike Jacobs what he expects to see out of the new DP when he does hit the field for Nashville, probably in just a couple days' time. Hockey's ability to not only play as a nine, but we talk a lot about, and all the players are looking for, being versatile and flexible, being able to play a variety of different roles, but also in different systems. Uh, where he's most comfortable playing maybe on the back shoulder or center backs, trying to get him behind. He's got tremendous pace you know, to be able to threaten defenses. He can also play in front of a center back. You know, as a traditional target, he can play off a center forward, you know, like in, in, a, in a pair. Uh, you know, he can play by himself as a lone nine. Uh, he can play on the left, come inside on his right foot. And, you know, so I think he has that flexibility and versatility that we look for in players. But also, I think as you've seen, even, you know, in our creative and dynamic attacking players like Randall, like Hani, we want guys who work on both sides of the ball. And, you know, you only have to see the, the game in CCL when, you know, when he scored against Columbus. You know, that all started with his ability to press the ball on the back and to create transitional actions. I just think, uh, you know, the way he plays really fits for what Gary looks for in players all over the field, specifically for attacking players. So that's what the general manager has to say about the expectations for Ake Loba. So now we're going to tick through so many of the burning questions that, that we've heard from you so that folks can have some clarity on what to expect from this guy in the near term. You've mentioned that you would expect him to suit up in gold this Saturday. When should we reasonably expect him to start? I don't think it'll be that long. He is a guy who is very fit. That's part of his game. That's part of, you know, it's like asking when can Dax McCarty join a club and then suit up. <laughs> this dude is going yeah. to stay ready. So I think it's just a matter of however soon Nashville feels comfortable throwing him in there. And I think the midweek game next week could be, it could really be that soon because this is a guy whose talent, I think the, the price tag tells you that, that the talent level is much higher than anyone else on this roster. And that would be exceptional fortune for Nashville because Aki Loba has scored against Columbus this season. <laughs> he actually did that in CONCACAF Champions League. So a familiar sight he would be to Columbus crew. Uh, this has been a pursuit that's lasted a long time. You mentioned November of 19, your first piece on him, which also speaks, by the way, to how thorough you are in your coverage at clubcountryusa.com. Shameless plug. What the heck was it that finally got this deal over the line after so much working and waiting? Yeah, when I first reported on the interest that Nashville had in Ake Loba, I checked with sources, you know, both within MLS and, and 
around the world of, of CONCACAF even. And it became pretty clear that he wanted to stay within Liga MX because that was where there was a, a better financial payday for him, essentially. Both he and his agent wanted to go to a big club that had a lot of money. And it was clear that Nashville wasn't going to be able to compete. Now, he went to Monterey, which is is probably one of the top two or three richest clubs in North America. Um, I guess since South American clubs aren't very wealthy, he's is one of the top two or three richest clubs in this hemisphere. So he gets there, and as I mentioned previously, the depth chart is really tough for a guy who is very talented, but is going up against guys who have, um, you know, who are playing for Mexico right now. There are very few uh, players starting in MLS who would start for the Mexican national team. Carlos Vela chooses not to. Chicharito hasn't been called up in a really long time. Jonathan Dos Santos and, and Giovanni Dos Santos have, have both had their moment with the, with the Mexican national team and had their moment with MLS as well. So there are very few guys who are beating out a Mexico national team striker, I guess is the, the long and short of it. And essentially he had his payday and it was time to say, okay, we, we've, we've gotten our payday and it's time to look to what can make me happy as a soccer player, not just what can, what can make me a, a nice little bit of coin. And I think a move to MLS is perfect for that because it also sets him up for another future payday, if he performs well, um, leagues from Europe are, are far more interested in, in MLS than they are in Liga MX for the most part. And that's something that can really help him launch to the next phase, too. So let's get into the practical implications of this move. Quite simply, who should give way for Loba in the starting 11 once he's ready to start? Is he going to be an out-and-out striker? Is he going to play on the wing? Based on his talents and the needs of this team, where does he fit and what's the best formation to use him? Yeah, it's interesting because when I did ask Mike, I asked specifically, how does he fit into Gary's system? And he was very clear that, yes, he's a striker, but he can also play on the wing. He can also create a little bit. And he said, yeah, this is a guy that can be a second striker in a two forward system. So there is a lot of flexibility with how you use a guy like Loba. I think the best case scenario is you play him as a lone striker or you play him with a, a strike partner like John Dercati. He's a, guy, a big guy who can knock down some balls a little bit. Even CJ Sapong is, has the ability to knock down balls like that, maybe in a, in a way that better suits a player like Loba who's just straight up goal hungry. We've talked about this the past couple of weeks. He's a guy, he, he doesn't necessarily have the best skill set uh, in any single facet on Nashville SC's roster now, but other than the fact that he is the most goal hungry, he wants it more than anyone other than maybe Randall Leal, who's also another guy who's <laughs> going to go bombs away, loves to score, sure. but, but has a, a very different playing style than somebody who's going to mix it up in the box. So I think um, anybody who can get this guy's service, he's going to be happy being on the field with. He's a very willing defender, as Mike mentioned in that clip. So he's a guy who's going to fit no matter where he plays, um, whether that's on the wing or whether that's at striker, whether that's as part of a strike pair, I think he's going to be a good fit in terms of finding goals, finding opportunities for Nashville to score goals. During international action, when Nashville's without some of its best players, they have certainly given us Plenty to talk about with this acquisition. And as, as important as he is on the field, it's possible he might even mean more often, at least in the short term, as Nashville has a reputation for not being a big spending team, fair or not. But this looks like a statement of intent to shake that perception. That echoed by the words of Nashville SC CEO Ian Eyre. We were very clear, our owner, uh, John Ingram, and and the board were very clear at the start that the that the support would be there, the investment would be there for the right opportunities. And I think you know we did some fantastic work in the last eighteen months in building the roster we already have uh, prior to, to this signing. 
Um, but we've always been conscious that we would keep adding and keep developing and changing some pieces out. And I think this is a big step forward. It's you know it's obviously our biggest signing in, in, and a designated player. But but I think it it doesn't stop here. You know we'll keep assessing the squad. We'll keep assessing the opportunities and we'll keep moving the pieces around the around the board really. But um, but I think it says a lot about the ambition of the club. I think if you look at the start we've had, look at the season we had last year, look at the start we've had this year, and adding somebody like Ake at this point in the season, which is fantastic, gives us a chance to make another step forward. And that's not to put any more pressure than is already on everybody every game. But but I think it's um, it shows real ambition, and and you know I think he'll fit well into the group and. I think everyone, including our fans, will be excited to see him come out and join this group. So at the time of signing, Nashville was in a pretty good position at the table. You could argue they're still at an okay spot. Third of the table on points per game then, still fifth of the table now. Among top five in MLS and expected goals and shots and chances created, it's an attack that's been moving this year, even if the finish hasn't always been there. But Tim, the front office wasn't satisfied, and I think it's easy to say that fans should be energized by this move and the ambition that it reveals. Yeah, we mentioned it at the top, talking about the money ball situation. It's not about how many dollars you spend. It's about how much you get out of each dollar that you spend. Well, Nashville's been getting quite a bit out of the dollars that they've already spent. If you add $6.8 million more of those in transfer fees, this is a guy who fits the one hole that we've seen in the roster so far this year, which is a guy who's just going to go out and get goals other than the Walker Zimmerman shaped hole, as we've previously discussed, but Nashville has guys generating chances. Nashville has guys taking chances. They haven't had enough conversion of those chances so far this year. And this is the guy you spend $6.8 million to acquire in order to get that done. That Walker Zimmerman shaped hole actually has the man bun carved out as well, just to make sure nobody <laughs> with, else. Can with fit with like it. the back part flowing over the shoulders too, it's a really good Thor look for Walker lately. It, it was a problem for Alex Mule, who had the man bun there for a bit too, because it just wasn't going to be quite enough. He couldn't quite get it because he didn't have the flow once the hair was down. Just wasn't it wasn't working for him. Uh, so let's let's embrace consensus now and let's talk big picture of Ake Loba here. Of course, the end result is the most important thing for this team, right? First of all, what he resells for down the road, from Mike Jacobs' standpoint, but for Gary Smith and this club, what is it going to do to Nashville's place in the table? Tim, is Ake Loba's signing enough to make this club a contender for top spot in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, I think it is, but there is one major caveat, and that's the one that we were just talking about. They cannot have a Walker Zimmerman-shaped hole for any more than necessary this year. Once he returns from the Gold Cup, where he's excelling with the United States men's national team through one game, it must be noted, he has to stay healthy. He has to stay on the field because we've seen that Nashville's holes without him are too obvious. They can't defend set pieces well enough without him, without kind of compensating for it in other ways. So I've expressed skepticism that he was the team's defensive MVP last year, much less the entire league's. But because of that set piece dominance, I think I'm really coming around to that. I'm very willing to walk it back. As much as I love Dave Romney, I think everybody on this who listens to this podcast is well aware that I'm the biggest Dave Romney fan in the world. But I talked about it in the Gold Nuggets, what Walker provides, what he gives the opportunity for this club to do in terms of how they defend set pieces. When you have a guy who's just going to get up and win every header, um, and that applies on set pieces on offense too, where he's a great goal scorer. He was tied for Nashville's leading goal scorer for way too deep into last season. <laughs> so, you know, the things that he provides on both ends on set pieces. So 
The team needs to take care of business without him for the next four or five games. Chicago, at Columbus, Cincinnati, at Toronto, at New England. I think you could say that Chicago and Cincinnati absolutely must be wins. Mm -hmm. And three or four points out of the other three games is needed to keep pace. Now, if you do keep that pace, you get Walker back and he stays healthy, and you suddenly have a a goal-hungry, big-time striker, I think the expectation has to be that Nashville wants to compete for the number one spot in the Eastern Conference, and they have the horses finally to say, hey, we're here to get it done. So yes, but with a whole lot of qualifiers. And so I'm going to just remove the qualifiers and say no. I I don't think this move alone makes them a contender for top spot in the Eastern Conference. Is that their ambition? Yes. Is it possible? Yeah, sure it is. Uh, But I think you're still along the lines right now of contending for a home playoff spot for a few reasons. The gap between first and fourth in the East last year, it was six points in a shortened season. That's pretty tight. But in 2019, in a more representative year, it was 14 points. And I think Nashville's probably closer to the bottom end of that gap than the top. I don't think they will be up there with the New Englands and Orlandos of the world and maybe even Philadelphia and NYC by the end of the season. I don't think one signing bridges that for a couple of reasons. First, defense has been too porous. You know, I'd like to, to be convinced that even with Walker, those issues would be resolved uh, amidst a renewed focus on the attack. You know, Nashville, with Loba coming in, I think is, is going to have their eyes on goal. And when that happens, Gary Smith teams, and most soccer teams traditionally, have proven to be a bit more porous at the back when their ambition mm-hmm. is moving forward. So I think that's a concern. I think that, that you know, you're going to have to average two or three goals a game to be at the pace Nashville's going to need to be. And I think they'd much rather be in a position where they could score one or two and know that, that they're going to get a win like Nashville's been most of its of its history. Number two, though, it, quite simply, I think there are just too many road matches. I mean, nine of the final 12 games this year, I think that makes Loba more of a, this is an extreme, extreme metaphor, uh, but, but more of a life raft than a cruise ship. You know, there's, there's not, in my view, a way they're going to hop on, turn on the gears with Loba, and shoot their way toward the top of the East, even with Walker, unless they play their best defensive soccer and unless they find a remedy for the results they've gotten on the road. Not just this season, but but historically, you know, the home road contrast is just big for Gary Smith teams in Nashville. So not only do they have to win some of these games, they, they would otherwise draw with Loba, but they're going to have to thrive rather than survive away from home. And nothing just yet has convinced me that this club can do that confidently with Loba. Yeah, I think the home road split is a big factor here, but it is important to keep in mind that from an expected goals differential perspective, Nashville has been one of the top two or three teams in the league. Obviously, that will not remain the case when they go on the road uh, more often than they're they're at home, as they've done the reverse of so far this year. But you are also taking that team and adding uh, a a top-end piece plus hopefully the the early season lumps that were felt against Cincinnati and in that first Montreal game. And I would say even against Miami in terms of being unable to score goals, maybe those are behind you and you have another level in you. But yeah, it is going to be a tough task when so many of these contests come on the road. And there's a great chance. There's a there's a decent chance, at least, that with the chances created being the kerosene, that Akiloba is the match that's going to ignite. Mm-hmm. And, and Nashville not only regresses to the mean, but does, does in a way that well exceeds expected goals. It is certainly possible. I also will, will qualify my own statement with the fact that, that the club's ambition is still absolutely top of the table. They are not viewing this as, let's just sneak into the playoffs. They absolutely, uh, I think that's the statement of intent part of this, right? They do believe Loeb is the kind of acquisition that can have them competing and contending. And you've seen two teams contending for that top spot, Philadelphia and New England, come to Nashville and lose as Nashville Mm -hmm. played its best two matches of the season, I think inarguably in those two matches. Yeah, I think regardless of the Loba addition, 
struggling to to hopefully make the playoffs at the end of the year was not in this club's vocabulary, much less yeah. expectations. And I think when you add him to the mix, they're taking another level even beyond that. And, you know, as, as you've mentioned, the goal is, of course, to to win the Eastern Conference. It's just a matter of how close do you get to that aspiration. And I think this takes them one step closer. We'll see exactly, you know, how many steps behind there they were once the home road split levels off a little bit. And once we see a little bit more of who all these teams truly are. What do you guys think? We'll maybe throw a poll up on this as we promote the podcast. Is this enough for Nashville to consider itself a contender for top spot? Or are the hopes a little closer to home playoff game. I think we'll all agree that, that the expectation should be well above just surviving, as Tim said, and, and clearing the playoff line. But as tight as things are, as much parity, how much of a difference can Akeloba make for this team? We'll go to the mailbag, and we will answer an Akeloba question here in a minute again as we get to the, the topic of expectations around him. But first, let's move to the back end. With Jack Mayer having several impressive showings, asks John Jacobs, do you think Gary will try out a back three more often to utilize his backline talent with some players like Alex Mueil and Kose being better suited to wing back? Or will it just remain a situational game plan against certain formations? And then, of course, uh, we have to, to thank him for saying at the end, great show as always, guys. Appreciate it, John. Yeah, it'll definitely be a tool in the belt to go with that odd back line, but I don't think it's something that will be a primary philosophy. A back four with two holding mids is basically this team's identity, and one of the reasons for the success in the past year and a half has been drilling that identity until it's second nature. Um, these guys are pros. They can switch things up a bit, but but the other team's guys are pros too, and so what separates this team from all the other clubs in MLS is that they're so devoted to and drilled in a, a system that they believe in, and they truly live out every, every day on the field if you're mixing it up too much you kind of lose a lot of that and that's what has made nashville a special club so far this year yeah i think it's a tool in the belt too i agree with you uh when alistair johnston is around i don't think gary can keep him off the field and as we saw against philadelphia for 45 minutes i don't think that wingback role is necessarily the best place for alistair he, he is more of a traditional fullback and so i think you know the benefit of two strike two strikers plus hani in a three five two and, and perhaps getting all of your your weapons on the field at once probably doesn't justify compromising your defensive chemistry especially when that's been an issue for this team so when alistair returns i would expect a four two three one and four four two to lead the way as plans a and b but it's good to know there is that plan c of a three-man back line yeah, and it's important to note while Jack Mayer is emerging, while Walker Zimmerman will be coming back from the Gold Cup, depth is important. You don't want to put all your healthy and talented center backs on the pitch at any given time because if one of them gets hurt, you don't have that depth all of a sudden. I, I think Nashville is developing Mayer as somebody who can step in in, in this current fra- uh, phase of the season that Nashville is going through without Walker Zimmerman. But at this team's best, um, he's a he's a great third option off the bench. And you see that at other positions, a guy that everybody in the fan base really likes Daniel Rios has hardly seen the field this year. Mm-hmm. Some of that was injury, but some of that is because the nature of MLS is there are going to be some good players that don't see the field. And, and unfortunately um, for the guys on any given day, it, it could be Jack Mayer, but uh, in the long run, you want to be able to develop those guys. You want to be able to have that depth so that when Walker Zimmerman is going to the gold cup, or if he gets injured, you have that backup piece. It's not about getting them on the field together just to make sure that you have all your best players on the pitch. Speaking of player development, John Jacobs follows up. I know you've stated that Rodrigo Pinheiro is a high ceiling guy, but currently a project that needs some work. After seeing his first real action on the field against Toronto FC here recently, his second match of the year, John thinks he looked like a spark plug that brought a lot of energy to the team, and he asks us what our thoughts are on how he played. 
Yeah, I don't know that we've seen enough of him to cast any broad opinions yet, or at least nothing that kind of changes what our broad opinions were before. He still looks like a guy who has a ton of potential, but just isn't ready for the level just yet. I mean, his longer appearance against Toronto FC, he only had 16 touches and, and 10 passes, only completed six of those 10 passes. So you can see many flashes in there, but not enough to say that he's getting over the hump. It's, it's kind of a necessary but not sufficient type of performance to say that maybe that the the uh, future that we all expect of him in the long run is, is getting closer to us. Yeah, and especially that last point that you made, missing the 20-man roster in the last three matches, even without several players who are gone on international duty. I think we have to trust that means he's just not where he needs to be right now. And the other piece to that is that against Toronto, his mandate was really simple, right? Nashville was even in that match trying to find a winner. And so all he was looking to do was scramble for that winner, keep the ball circulating. Um, he, he didn't, as, as you said, complete a high percentage of his passes. He really wasn't asked to do much more than just keep the ball moving forward. Don't try to shed your man. Don't try to do anything fancy and certainly don't try to defend. And so in a two-way match in a more complex situation, if he's playing for 45 minutes or starting, I just don't think the faith is there in him just yet uh, to consistently give the club what it needs within the framework of the team. Uh, and, and most of that is, I think, my own observation based on the fact that he's just, again, not really been in the picture, even mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. a lot of numbers lacking. Yeah, and I think the sample size is just not sufficient to make any changes to how I felt about him before. Uh, if he was playing more, it would be for a reason, I think you could say, and that it, w- it would be that he's moving along more quickly than expected. Plus, we would have more evidence on the field to evaluate him by, and we just don't have either of those opportunities yet. Robbie Aces reaches out about Aki Loba, the question that we teased a minute ago. As a fan, he says, I have high expectations for Loba to jump in and be a scoring machine. What are the realistic slash reasonable expectations we should have for him? Now, the transfer market in Europe is not necessarily always predictive of the production you're going to get. Wages are actually far more predictive than transfer dollars because it's become such a a crazy market. Inflation has taken over and you're talking about, you know, what, $70 million for for Luke Shaw? I mean, it's, it's, it's just it's absurd. In MLS, I'm not going to call it an efficient market, but I think when you spend this kind of money, it's a little bit more predictive because these investments happen so seldom, relatively speaking, because of the salary cap and the DP rule and all that. So what is $6.8 million, his reported transfer price, what does that compare to? Who else in Major League Soccer came at that price and what are they doing? And I think we can get an idea of what we can expect eventually from Loba. And then maybe, Tim, I'll leave the question for you of you know what's expected in the near term from him. Um, some guys that, that that are at that price or near it, Lucas Zellerayan, a little bit more than that at $8 million, came in and set the world on fire from Tigrace to Columbus. Lucha Acosta, right at about $6.6 million, so just a little bit less to Cincinnati. You can argue that's an overpay, certainly, but he started to produce there in Cincinnati and certainly a key cog in their attack. Babelo Reynoso, a relative bargain at $4.8 million, a central attacking mid in Minnesota has transformed a lot of what they do. Marcelino Moreno in Atlanta that we just saw earn a, I think, an orange card, a yellow card given <laughs> against Atlanta. He's He's been a pretty big part of their attack. Everson Soteldo still coming on in Toronto. Um, and I think the best comp, honestly, when you look at, at where he's coming from and what he could bring to the team is a guy like Gustavo Bo coming up from Liga MX at $7 million. You're smiling, you're laughing, you may disagree here. Uh, but he's a forward who can play at the wing. 23 goals in 49 matches for New England. Now, Tim, yeah, tell no, me why that's, I'm wrong. That's why I was smiling and laughing. If, if this dude is as productive <laughs> as Gustavo Bo, I think National SC fans are going to be hyper happy. <laughs> so I, I will say Bo is, is the best comp when it comes to the ceiling that you would hope for. Yeah. And not, Robbie, to your question, what you should expect. But I think... 
you know, it, it's it's a ceiling. It's an ambition. And I would imagine that Gustavo Bo's name was on this front office's lips as they were talking about a dream scenario. What do you think? What's realistic long term and maybe in the near term for, for this guy's performance? Yeah, I think that it, it starts with the scoring production. You expect him to lead this team in scoring over the course of the rest of the year. Now, Hani Mukhtar leads the team in goals right now with four. But Randall Leal, CJ Sapong, Jean Ducatis, and Luke Hawkinson all have two. This is he should be able to surpass those guys pretty quickly. And I think if he leads this team in scoring, because Hani's not going to stop scoring. I don't think CJ is going to stop scoring. I don't think Jander's going to stop scoring. Hawkinson, who knows? <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but if if this guy not only keeps pace with, but then passes and continues to keep pace with these guys, Nashville SC fans are going to be really happy. So, you know, I guess if you project what, what Mukhtar has done so far this year and say, okay, approximately 12 goals, if, if you saw Loba get to, you know, two thirds of the season, get, get to 10 goals in, in not quite two thirds of the year, you'd be pretty happy about that, especially because you're expecting that Hani, um, you know, we'll, we'll give some of that production to him, but also continue to produce himself too. Great questions, guys. Thanks for bringing them. And we will look forward, of course, to tracking Akiloba very closely. And we'll take you deeper than anybody else into the metrics behind his performances. Moving along now to outside in, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk just a bit about the global soccer that concluded this past weekend. And then, of course, the global soccer that started this weekend. Copa America, Argentina is your winner over Brazil. And, of course, the Italians in penalties defeat England. Football is coming, comma, Rome. Which of these <laughs> tournaments, which of these finals, Copa America versus the Euros, entertained you more? You know, I've been adamant throughout the course of, of each of these tournaments that people don't give enough love to Copa. I think it's a, a really cool tournament that kind of gets overshadowed by the Euros because Euros have uh, a bunch of players from teams that people recognize from playing in, in the Premier League. They recognize a lot of those names. Obviously, Copa has some of those, but it's not quite the density. Uh, I think overall... As a tournament, I, I liked Copa quite a bit more. In terms of the final, um, I was happy with the way each of them turned out, and that's what's most important, of course. But I think I think the actual gameplay of, of Euro was quite a bit more exciting than the Argentina Brazil game. I liked the insane nature of that of the final twenty minutes or so of Copa. I, I think tournament wise, I enjoyed Euro more. I, I know more of the names. Uh, exactly, you get past the, <laughs> the top level, and that's going to be the stereotypical, probably American global soccer fan response. But the level of hostility and enmity between Argentina and mm -hmm. Brazil to me mm -hmm. and the, the late yellow cards and just the, the frantic passion, but then chased by the, um, the intimate, uh, for lack of a better word, moment between Neymar and Messi afterward yeah. and that, the hug and moment of congratulations, I think encapsulated what I really enjoy about South American soccer culture. And it inspired me, along with a buddy, to choose an Argentine team to, to back in uh, – in club ball this year. I think maybe San Lorenzo is the way I'm leaning. It's okay, cool. Okay. Right there in Buenos Aires. We'll see. Still <laughs> still debating that. Might come back and update you on that. Uh, moving on to the Gold Cup. Most relevant, of course, for Nashville SC supporters. Three players were supposed to play in Gold Cup. Two ended up suiting up for their teams. Walker Zimmerman, the man of the match in match one against Haiti as he led the team in passing and helped the U.S. hold Haiti to just three shots on goal in the somewhat lackluster 1-0 U.S. win. Any chance that he finagles his way into the overall starting 11 for this team in World Cup qualifying and beyond alongside John Anthony Brooks? Yeah, I've really come around on that idea, especially, I would say, since Aaron Long's injury. Um, the Red Bulls player tore his Achilles and, and will 
almost certainly not be available for the World Cup, much less before then. Um, he's the sort of player that you need to compliment John Anthony Brooks. Brooks is a uh, not exactly fleet of foot, but he's an incredibly good ball player. You need somebody like Zimmerman who might not play the most beautiful passes. And I think even against Haiti, there were some moments where I was like, oh, goodness, he's he, he's going to get stuck with the ball on his foot and be in real big trouble here. But he has the sort of athleticism that you need to partner with a guy like Brooks because Brooks just isn't going to bring that part of the game. And Walker's more a uh, walkabout uh, type style, no pun intended, I guess. <laughs> that, that, that style where he's a little bit more rangy and willing to go all over the field, which we've seen for better and occasionally for worse for Nashville, is something that you like to see next to Brooks. Another defender, of course, for Nashville, a seat in action for Canada. Alistair Johnston goes the full 90 against Martinique. Canada conceded early before storming back for a 4-1 win. Can we at this point get out the Sharpie and put Alistair in Canada's starting 11 for good? Or do you think that spot at right back is still up in the air? I think it's still up in the air a little bit. Obviously, they have some really good options, including Richie Larea, who's quite a bit more positionally versatile. He does play primarily right back for TFC and has in the past for Canada. But when when TFC came to Nashville most recently, he was playing on the wing. So this is mm-hmm. a guy that can play multiple positions, whereas Alistair is really just a right back. And I, I don't want to say just because he can play as a wing back, he can play as kind of that right center back, which is what we've seen him do quite a bit for Canada recently. But this is a guy who I think that versatility puts him in that back line somewhere, whether that is as kind of a half center back or as a wing back or as just a normal pure fullback. Disappointing news for Nashville SC and Panama. Anibal Godoy out with a hamstring strain, not expected to return for Panama. Not going to imply causation here, but it was disappointing, Tim, to see him go 90 minutes in that midweek exhibition against Mexico at Nissan Stadium three days before the Philadelphia match. I personally didn't expect to see him play much, if at all, right. in, a, in a match that felt like it was going to be more about young player development than anything else. And again, not saying that that caused the injury. Let me be very clear. Nonetheless, he will be sitting now and and hopefully returning to Nashville here in in a matter of weeks. Yeah, and in the uh, Panamanian press, I believe even the Panamanian Federation is reporting they expect it to be a a four-week type of injury. But um, when there are these soft tissue injuries, it's a little bit of guesswork going into it. And some of that is just that um, Godoy probably doesn't want to stress himself too much if he doesn't have to at this point. He doesn't have a lot to gain playing for Panama. He's over 100 caps, and and I don't think that he believes that they're going to win the Gold Cup. So it might not be worth sacrificing more time in his club season. So we'll see what exactly happens here. Um, Hopefully that four-week period uh, it's not quite accurate, but Panama kind of decides that they need to send him home anyway, and that would give Nashville a player back before they even expected him. Best case scenario, indeed, for Nashville SC, if that is the case. You first heard that news locally on clubcountryusa.com. Keep tracking Club Country USA for the latest Gold Cup updates for Nashville SC players and beyond. Uh, one other note to get to is we look at the boys that are currently not wearing gold, but this one wearing yellow. Tom Judge moves over to Pittsburgh Riverhounds on loan, recently signed by the club out of James Madison University. You've seen him play live. How will Tom benefit from Lily Ball? It's pretty interesting because when I saw him play live, I saw uh, his James Madison Dukes play against George Mason University in the, kind of in the D.C. suburbs, I guess you could say. He felt like a stay-at-home left back, um, which would be perfect for Lily Ball. But then there was a point kind of midway through the second half where all of a sudden he goes on this nice snaking run through this 
the middle of the George Mason line and, and provides a cross that ends up being a hockey assist for a goal. So he's a little bit more athletic, a little bit more offensively minded than I think JMU used him. And I probably would say that Lily will use him as a little bit more of that stay at home sort of guy. That's what we've seen over time. Obviously Bob Lily and Gary Smith get along really well and they have similar philosophies about kind of playing that well-drilled defensive soccer that I've been talking about seems like throughout this entire podcast so far. So I think the, the sort of um, seasoning that he's going to get uh, kind of there on the banks of the Monongahela river will really serve him well when he does return to Nashville. So it's all the Monongahela and not the Allegheny. Yeah. Nor the Ohio. Very important. Very important <laughs> note there. All right. We are past stoppage time and we are hearing the final whistle now. Content recommendations, Tim going off the beaten path. I hear for this one. Yeah, Braden and I very briefly alluded to this last week, but you know what? I want to put my stamp on it and and give my full-throated endorsement of the children's television show, Bluey. Uh, we, like I said, we mentioned it last week, but this is an Australian children's show. Um, it rules. It is so awesome. It's like the kid, the kid likes it, but dad enjoys it too. It's, it's funny okay. for adults and not in like a Shrek way where they're throwing in a cheap, like fart joke or whatever, along <laughs> with normal stuff. Um, so sh- shout out to Bluey. Check it out, everybody. I'm writing this down because I think it's, it's quite frequent. You'll that, get there. You'll get to the well, when you're, I know. I got an 11-month-old yeah, now. When your there. kids get older, your days can often go down under when it comes to entertainment. So I guess if you <laughs> go down under in this case, you can avoid And you know what? That. Shout out to the government of Australia for helping fund this program. I'm feeling very pro-Bluey today. Is it bluey or is it like bluey? Like is this, what's the accent make uh, it sound it's, like? It's, it's, they, they say it during the theme song, and it's, it's a pretty – bluey it's very it's very americanized universal smart they are very smart marketers well my recommendation is just keeping your child 11 months old forever It is the perfect age (laughs) for content consumption because any shiny object on the screen is entertaining they know enough about the world to know hey look at that screen it's it's fun Uh, yet they don't repeat what they hear on tv so you can watch something that's maybe pg-13 or r without worrying about them sitting there and telling it to you later Uh, and you can keep watching whatever the heck you want which for me mostly lately has been soccer but if you want something uplifting that's not entirely inappropriate for kids maybe this is a cliche recommendation but i'm speaking to the one person who listens to the show who has not seen ted lasso catch up now apple tv before season two launches on july 23rd Again, 95% of you are stopping the podcast now because you've seen it. You don't need me to recommend it. It is great content. Uh, my wife asked me, you know, she said, I'm not a soccer person, which we're working on, by the way. Will I like Ted Lasso? I said, Lisa, Ted Lasso is not a soccer person. <laughs> so yes, yes, you'll enjoy it. And she very much liked it. We consumed it. I watched it twice all the way through and uh, she enjoyed it too enough to, to certainly join me for season two. And so I'm debating right now, Tim, my wife is out of town. She'll probably still be out of town on July 23rd when Ted Lasso Ooh, season two it. launches. What are the ethics of that situation? Well, I got to say, I don't, I do not have Apple TV plus on um, no shouts out to Steve jobs right now. So I have only seen like, I've seen like the first four episodes many times with other people, but I was like, Oh my, I think my wife is really going to like this show. She's very hesitant to watch mm-hmm. it as a lot of people are. Cause they think it's a soccer show, which it's really not. But, um, so I, I have not made it all the way through season one yet. So what? I do not have that conundrum. So I would say for your sake, do what makes you happy, man. Well, find your joy. Find your joy. I, I will. I'll be a goldfish and just forgot that I watched it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, mean, I think it's a show I would gladly watch all the way through twice anyway. So I'll probably just do that. I mean, we'll see. But it's funny. You're you're part of that one percent or five percent that I just said. 
mm-hmm. you know, doesn't need to tune me out right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I finished Ted Lasso, man. We got to talk about it. Uh, all right, well, moving along to um, considerable more success in the table than AFC Richmond, uh, at least for one of us. MLS fantasy update. I'm in sixth place, admirably hanging into the, what, 26 or 27 person league. Tim, you're not quite having as much success. I think it may be due to a lack of effort at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the listeners are going to have the curtain pulled back for them a little bit here. I added the MLS fantasy update to the rundown with the following. LOL, I wonder the last time I checked my team. Definitely <laughs> should have left this in the rundown so I'd have a weekly reminder to do that. So that tells you exactly what I've been doing. So I, being in 16th right now, I'm very happy having not checked my team since like the third week. But this is the time. If you're a listener to the show, which I don't know, there's actually a pretty close correlation between those who listen to the show and those who are, you know, in the group dedicated to the show. However, you are in the know enough to know who's in the gold cup and who's not. This is where you can gain up some, gain some ground, Tim. I'm speaking especially to you and Braden, who's behind you and just above the relegation zone, because there are so many players who are not available. And so people who haven't checked their teams are going to fall quickly. That's been you here recently, Tim. Whereas <laughs> if you know who's out and you know who's still around, you can get some diamonds in the rough. I don't know that anybody would have started Jackson Conway for Atlanta this week, but you can pick some players who might normally get some time and just maybe you can climb back in. Jamie Watson, by the way, Nashville SC color analyst for TV in second place after a monster Ooh. week. So trying to trying to catch him. Uh, so now is the time to check your teams. All right. I think we've descended into madness now talking about Tim's deadbeat uh, fantasy tracking and, and TV yeah, I show. Am not, I am not the Ted Lasso of our fantasy league. <laughs> hey, you know what? That might work out or well. Maybe I am. I haven't seen the whole season to know. Yeah, if I, I, I will. Well. I'll stop there. I won't ruin anything else <laughs> for you. I think you might very well be. We'll see. We'll see. I won't go any further than that. Well, thanks to Apple TV, who does not sponsor the show. Uh, for giving us the last five minutes of content today. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music, ESPN 94.9, as always, for the highlights. Please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, and follow us on Twitter. I am at WestBowlingTN. That's the sport without the W, B-O-L-I-N-G. He is at ClubCountryUSA. Visit ClubCountryUSA.com for all the latest Nashville SC content as well as Gold Cup updates. And thanks, as always, to the 440 Sports Network for keeping our microphones turned on. Until next time, we'll see you soon.